Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Worlds podcast, where we talk about the experiences of art and magic and the search for meaning. I'm your host, J.S. Groves, author, artist, sorcerer, and madman. Uh, in today's episode, we interview Mae Evans, a queer witch uh, practicing digital, traditional, and magical arts. Um, before we get started, I'm going to note that we recorded this in the quiet room of the Kansas City Public Library, um, and it turned out not as echoey as I was afraid it was, but there was some background noise that I wasn't able to remove yet. Please bear with me as I continue to develop my technical skills as a podcaster. Now, without further ado, uh, May Evans. May, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really good to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I guess uh, the place to begin is just kind of dive into it. Uh, in the the pre-talk, you said that writing was your first love, and since that is my first love as well, why don't why don't we start there? Okay. Um, you said that you write fiction, poetry, nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, can you talk to me about your writing a little bit? Um, yeah, actually, there's a funny poem about or a funny story about the first poem I wrote, <clears throat> where basically I was mad at my little brother and my little sister, because they wouldn't stop fighting one day, and I just like wrote a diss poem about them. <laughs> and like, it was really good for my age and everything. <laughs> so my mom was like, well, that's great writing, but since it's me, you have to throw it away. I'm like, fine. Because she's, you know, Baptist and all, like, everything has to have a lesson. Then I stuck to writing nature poems. <laughs> I didn't have to get rid of any of those. My first story was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about a squirrel, and it ended in to be continued. That's all <laughs> I remember about it. it sounds like a great story. <laughs> I would read it. It's probably in the archives somewhere. Had me a squirrel. trying to make friends with squirrels my entire life. And now I have some that are like, they'll just come right up and smack my door <laughs> off the porch. I'm like, hey, give me some food. <clears throat> and if I don't, they'll pee on my porch. <laughs> that doesn't sound friendly to me. No, but, uh, not all I'll... of them, just some of them. <laughs> but they like will sit there and eat just to look cute for me. I like making tents. feed me forever. I mean, that's friendship with the wild animals to me. <laughs> I've had worse friends. <laughs> I have had far worse friends. I'm into it. <laughs> so you, you work in uh, traditional visual media as well. You yeah. uh, said that you had uh, some shows both in Kansas and Missouri. Right. Um, what, what, uh, what kind of uh, visual arts do you do? Uh, pastel, gauche, um, well, I did tons of pastel stuff, um, and a lot of it that I did in the community was like chalk walk style, so outside on bricks or concrete, um, so very large scale for various events. Um, there's a festival for that that I took part in for like nine years, I think. It's a hell of a run. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and let's see, I had a show for collages at the, it's a 30, no, 39th Street Mudhouse now is what it is, the Mudhouse mm. Cafe. Because um, I like collages and I'm doing a lot of digital ones now. Um, but back in my 20s when I had like way too much energy, I would just be like, I mean, gigantic collages and I would make these like enormous poster sized pieces of like, I don't know, up to hundreds of images that I would put together and they would mostly be like kind of mood, I guess you would call them because they were more connected by kind of like ideas or trying to make a story or else just like all these blues and all these lines look the same. So I'm going to put them over here and then it's going to morph into this kind of thing. And that might be like images of a person with flowers or a bird or, you know. Um, so that was really one of the first places where I felt like I was kind of actually giving people an idea of what it looks like in my head when I process stuff because it's not processed through analytical sides of things unless you know I'm like specifically working on that um, it's just rushes of sound and color and emotion that's really interesting to me I uh, I've tried my hand at collage a couple times but uh because of the way my brain works, mm -hmm. I can't get past the collecting magazines phase. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I pick up the pair of scissors, and mm -hmm. I'm like, but then there will be a mess. <laughs> uh, you know, you can clean it up afterwards. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, so uh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, some other shows, okay. Um, I liked pastels a lot, and then because of what I was doing with it, um, I kept meeting more and more artists who were like, you have to paint, you need to paint, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to. That's going to take long. <laughs> that drying process. Right? So it turns out I cannot do oils. I hate them. But um, I really like... Um, the thick body acrylics, especially because I could make so much depth and um, different, I don't know, almost landscapes kind of to the surface. The, see, I went through a big period where I was embedding all my paintings with like tissue paper in mm. different layers and stuff. Um, like I did a like awakened heart kind of image where it's a heart with the eye. Mm in the center that's open and shining out rays of light and it's all like embedded with tissue paper in the heart to kind of make it look more visceral and like muscle and then I have you know the thick body paint on top of that adding another texture um so I really liked being able to build up layers like that and so I did a few like live painting events um for a band that doesn't really exist anymore <laughs> Mr. History um but I did live painting with them at, um, what's that fair where they do like the indie stuff? Fringe Fest. Mm. So I painted with them at Fringe Fest a couple years um, and down at some bars in 
Westport back when I lived down there. Um, let's see. I did a group show that was for cancer awareness over on the Kansas side. And then also over there, I did some like 3D collages that I eventually got into where I was making these like vessel object, um, what did I call them? Shadow box almost things. Um, where like it kind of got started where my aunt gave me her oil paints in this awesome box and that was also one of the reasons I found out I hated oil paints but I was like this box is awesome and I'm gonna make something out of it so I painted it all black and I like started filling it with bones and crystals and I painted like a skull on it and all this stuff and like filled it up into this weird thing that had like a jar of pennies in it that was like take two <laughs> Um, and that kind of started this whole other exploration I got into for a while. Um, assemblages, that's what I called them. So that was really fun. And I think that's most of the styles that I've done. That is many, many things. Yeah. Uh, that, that's really, really cool. Thank you. I've, uh, I've played around with assemblages as well, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, again, I don't often get past the collecting bits and pieces Mm. Um, so it sounds like I need to come read your house. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly no. Um, uh, so you you mentioned your your uh, the digital collage, which mm -hmm. you said is your your newest medium. Yes, that just started this year. Um, in February, I was talking to one of my friends who also um, draws and does digital art and is an artist and all this other like actor. Another awesome person. So um, I was like, you know, I can't work in this. I want to draw right now because it would make me feel better, but I can't. He was like, okay, well, when I can't draw because of time or feeling whatever, I just get on my phone and mess around with this digital stuff. So um, he showed me one of the ones he had done recently and pointed out how he had to like put all the elements together and everything. And um, so I pretty much just went crazy from there. Um, I had already had a program that designed, or an app that designed stuff um, for Instagram and posters and various stuff like that that you can use online and in print as well. So I just started using images from there, images I find online, images I took and mashing them all up into stuff and kind of seeing what happened um, and sometimes like the image that I end up with ends up being like six layers of what from the images I started out with so it's been a very strange process seeing how that comes to life in its own way and observing how I try to fight it or not it's been pretty fun I feel like I've gotten able to focus more on what I want to do and not kind of like have to guess so much at what I'm doing, you know? Um, I can come into it more with like a fully realized idea now and be closer to bringing that with like fewer that's, things I have to, you know, work fun, together. That's a fun place to be with a new art where you, where you yeah. cross the line from like, what's going to happen yeah. to I'm going to do this. Right, it's very fun. <laughs> And some um, of the images you talked about in our pre-talk. Yeah, yeah. About the, uh, the Dionysus the, the, and 
Yeah, I was, I was going to bring up that next, the, uh, yeah. the devotional art. The ones that drew my attention uh, initially were the Persephone, Dionysus, and Lilith. I saw as I was scrolling through your Instagram this morning that you've uh, added what looks like raw to the list. Oh, um... Some kind of I, soul or somebody. Yeah, I've got the one that's Horus and Sirius. Or, wait. I know what you're talking about. Let me no. pull it up. Oh, it looks like he was further below and just didn't catch my attention okay. the first round. Well, one of them is Anubis, and then I've got one further down that... Um, all right, so is that the one you saw? The Anubis one? Uh, no. Um, Hawk-headed guy. Bright yellows. I guess I see. Okay, so I guess I see uh, Anubis on there too. There in the background. Yeah, Horus and Anubis. And if you click through, um, I think I tell you who those are and why I chose them for that. That was, was for, for the Lions Gate, I believe, hmm. on August eighth. Yeah. yeah, Anubis is serious and Horus is soul. Us is flowers. Opening, opening, opening. So that was uh, that was uh, art made uh, relative to a particular uh, astrological event. Right. Uh, that was not one of the events that caught my attention. Could you talk more about that a little bit? Um, yeah, um, it's only something I've recently learned about, and I'd say maybe it was the third year that I've like been there for it. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's called the Lion's Gate because <clears throat> it happens during Leo season. Mm -hmm. um, so. Basically, the sun is in Leo at that time of the year, and it's in one of the places where it tends to be hitting us with the most direct rays. Mm -hmm. um, there also tends to be a lot of solar flares and things happening at that time. So, um, Sirius, the star, is lined up exactly with the sun on August 8th. Um, so they call it the Lion's Gate Portal, um, and it's believed that more energies than usual are flowing to earth and especially people who are connected with cosmic energies at this time um so it's a whole lot of yang energy mm -hmm. um like summer's been a hard season for me and i'm really starting to notice that it's because of all the astrological stuff happens you have cancer season and then leo season and all those make me like a super unhappy grumpy virgo until we get to virgo season and then fall <laughs> and i feel more like myself again um so i'm trying to recognize okay all this shit's coming at me but that doesn't mean i have to like curl up in a ball and get mad about it i can let it come through and it's gonna pass it's a day and it comes and it goes Interestingly, uh, the, 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 just as an aside, mm -hmm. the astrological event that caught my attention was the conjunction between uh, the sun and uh, Polaris mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, the Great Bear constellation. Mm -hmm. And that, I'm still writing the blog post about that. So. Okay, well, send me the <laughs> link when you're done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so that was, that was the one that caught my attention. Um, Sirius is one of those things that I avoided researching for years and years because mm -hmm. so many people were so fixated on it that mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I have this contrarian 
thing in my personality where if too many people are interested in something, I just walk the other direction. And well, uh, I share that with you and actually do no research at all about Sirius. I just get my own information about it and let everyone else do whatever the, you know, whatever they want to do. What I'm hearing is that there's a channeling aspect to that, that work that you do. Yeah, definitely. Um, what, what does that feel like? Really good question. Um, that is the awkward question I'm here to ask. No. All right, then. <laughs> what does that feel like? You're going to hear it again. Well, okay, so when I was in college studying writing, we had to have one of the required classes was about the flow experience and the process of writing and all of that stuff. Um, and then... I went to college again for museums and there was the experience flow and stuff like that. So talking about it, I'm going to talk about this flow mm -hmm. because that's kind of where my history is in. All right. So the flow experience is supposed to be essentially when you feel perfectly caught up in the moment and you're not thinking about anything except the moment. And that can be like something that can be considered a mindfulness practice, but in the flow experience, the way you have it is in an active state. So where you're doing something, um, moving through something, writing something, whatever. And as far as channeling it goes, like, I don't really feel like I get to choose that it more feels like this gigantic river of something that comes up through the floor and through my feet and up into my body. And if I don't get it out, then I can't sit still. <laughs> and it'll fill me with these weird, numinous feelings that I'm going to have to like try and figure out how to make them be in the world in a way that other people can experience them. Um, so it's partly being in the flow, but it, there's also like more I have to really interpret it kind of as it is coming out of me. It's not like I'm just reproducing something mm -hmm. um, because what I'm reproducing is like wordless and nameless. Otherwise, it wouldn't need to be expressed. Um, so for me, it's like, a giant river pouring out and I have to try and like make it be some sort of garden effect that people will be like oh isn't that nice and it's not gonna like just flood in their faces and drown them or make them be like I don't know what she's doing but this sounds terrible <laughs> uh, so it's more like kind of constantly worrying about getting it right to doing honor to this numinous thing. That's that really sense. interesting. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. Okay. How how does that differ from the rest of your art? Um. Well, now that I've practiced stuff a lot, um, it's like I don't have to sit and wait for this thing, you know. Um, I can kind of romance it a little bit, you know, with the right settings and um, 
you know, sitting with intention, like this is my notebook that I write like fiction in. Um, or I'm sitting here with my sketchbook and I'm going to sketch something like that's how my recent um, drawing of Ecate came about that I'm still not done with, but um, that's on my feet as well. Um, I was like, I just got to draw something when I got to draw. I'm like, oh, I know, some badass Ecate. Or no, this is my little sister. Anyway, Ecate is, I did digital collage of her, that's why I'm thinking of it, and it was also black and white. All right, anyway. <laughs> I really forgot what I was thinking about. There, 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 are, there are threads that connect Hecate. I know. They, they, they drink from some of the same goblets. Right, but I try to. I'm drawing one of them. I try not to say. The, 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 <laughs> they are different, but there Agreed. are similarities. Um, I, yeah. Um, every once in a while, I have the impulse to just go off on a random. This is not about me. I see. <laughs> Um, so. All right, you asked how it's different from my other art. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. So, like, for instance, this morning, I just made myself a poetry prompt book. I saw that. Right. Okay. So, um, totally stole the idea from something I saw at Half Price Books I'm going to want to pay for. That is legit. <laughs> Here is my 50 cent notebook, and I will make this be my thing. <laughs> um, so the prompt I wrote was garden. Um, and like, I feel like with poetry especially, it's more of a like, I kind of have to sit here quietly, and it's a little shy animal that's going to mm -hmm. come over and sit in my lap. Um, because I have to get to a very specific inner place of calmness and focus um, that I used to pretty much always get from sitting outside or looking at trees. Um, but now it doesn't require so much external stimulation because I can you know, summon the things up more now that I've had like more diverse life experience than when I was eight. <laughs> um, but I do still like, if I can be looking out a window or something like that when I'm writing especially, that always makes me feel better. Because then if I look up from what I'm doing and I'm looking at a bunch of stuff in my house, I'm like, oh, well, I should probably do this and this and this. But if I'm looking at the trees, then I don't feel like I have to do anything besides be where I'm at. Discipline and self-starting are great, but that doesn't mean that a venue can't be more or less conducive. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, so in uh, in our pre-talk, you uh, talked a little bit uh, about your queer identity and how that uh, affects your art, and that's something that resonates a lot with me because a lot of the reason that I do the work I do is because as a, as a queer person I don't see myself reflected in what gets published and produced in the mainstream and so I set out to produce it. Right. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about your queer identity and what it means to you and your art? Okay. Um, well, 
I guess I'll kind of start at the beginning. I was raised Baptist, so I was closeted from a very young age because I knew in kindergarten that I was bi and non-monogamous. Um, and... So, basically, <clears throat> I had to develop this sort of, um, the part of me that could respond to the people, like, these are words that are appropriate to say to these people, and then there was a part of me that was real, and I could, you know, authentically be myself, and that would usually only be when I was reading or when I was outside in nature, that's when I felt that way. Um... And when I was in, outside in nature, I had a lot of experiences that I wouldn't realize until I was adult were like extremely unusual. Like I would go into trance states and wake up hours later in the top of a tree and be like, all right, well, we'll climb down this then. <laughs> um, I would like cold trees and I could see their energy patterns flowing through them and I would try and make my energy strong and straight like theirs um, or I would just like sit out in the grass and I would imagine light soaking into my cells and that was all like just very intuitive stuff and I like, didn't know that was any sort of magicalness or you know <clears throat> anything like that exactly but then I also sort of did because I something I never talked to anyone about so the things that I never talked to anyone about became very important to me because I had to keep them and essentially feel like I was preserving them until I could be safe enough to get out of my parents house and try and express them and then <clears throat> when I finally did get out and like in college and stuff, I was like, this is who I am and I am bi and like I'm not just a girly girl like you can't just say that I'm a girl and ignore this other part of me Which I didn't really have the words for that queerness yet. Um, it hadn't really come about um, As a thing yet um, but the fact was that the people that I thought would be fine with it were extremely hostile. And that was even like my gay friend who came out in college was like very hostile because, you know, he was the real deal and I was not. Um, or, you know, guys would want to hit on me and just like ignore that fact. And I was like, okay, but I'm telling you this to try and tell you that I'm not that into guys. <laughs> Um, and then I went to another college and like literally got bullied out of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance because of being bisexual in a straight passing relationship at the time. Um, <clears throat> and people were still extremely hostile to like woo stuff. Like it really honestly hasn't been until, I don't know, the past four or five years or so where like my friends aren't going to openly mock me for it, you know, if I talk about it to them. And they're, 
like don't remember being like that anymore which is fine but like things change and you have to roll with it but the magicalness and the unusualness of how I related to people as well as to everything else always seemed like part of the same thing to me um so learning how to develop and love myself and all that stuff I mean it has to include my sexuality because that's been a huge thing that I've had to heal and work on um because there's been so many like awful things that happened around it um so a lot of my magic has come from needing to heal myself and also feeling like the world needs to heal because there should be spaces for people like us um there should be spaces for things that are in between and not like you can't define them in a certain way um and part of my goal now in life is to just get people to accept the fact that they are not living in a normal place the world is fucking weird as hell like if I can just get people to acknowledge that I feel like the whole world will have started moving towards like experiencing life as a mystery that you can engage with and not like something that's happening to you that you just bitch about on social media your question well you you talked a lot about how your uh, queerness and your magic are interrelated okay. um, and we talked a little bit earlier about how your your magic and your art mm-hmm. are interrelated yes um, how do those three things come together healing yeah, heal, just heal, healing is the that's all focus it's all healing work that I'm doing like low-key <laughs> right, that's what it. I want to do ever since I was a kid um, it's been a really trippy year because like my dad died in January and one of the things I realized is like one of the things you know about yourself but then you forget you know it's like my whole like wanting to heal people my whole life has always been seeing the brokenness and the anger in my dad and knowing if that he could heal then my family could heal and stuff like that um and since he's died I'm like oh well I can heal him whether or not he's actually living here and that's a pretty cool thing to find out um but yeah I believe I was put in that family for a reason and that I chose to be there for a reason and like a lot of it was like being Baptist sucked but it exposed me to things that I would not have paid attention to if I had been able to experience anything that was available to me um, it's one of the reasons why I'm so into classical literature and things like that because my dad was very much a classical literature dude um, and like I don't even know how many bookshelves are in my parents house but <laughs> So like going through and reading all his stuff and reading about mythologies and different things um, and always from the perspective of my family's broken and I want them to be better. I mean that's made healing be what I'm all about even if I'm not talking about it. And I guess I kind of don't talk about it because I feel like people will think I'm like way too blue. Like people still already like 
slightly afraid to engage me in that. Trying to be less of the Wicked Witch in the woods. I, I empathize with that a lot. I uh, have arranged my life in such a way that I actually have very little contact with anyone outside the pagan and new age communities Mm -hmm. and um, between my intense scholastic bent and my intense ecstatic bent Mm -hmm. I'm kind of at the fringes even there right so I can I can I can emphasize with that outsiderness a lot you draw on these intense experiences and you have the, the, the these wells of inspiration what is as an artist what what does inspiration mean to you and uh, what does it outside of these I guess what what is what does inspiration mean to you writ large um it's like being aroused in your stomach and your brain at the same time. It's pretty much how it's <laughs> no, it's no, just no. like, all right, well, this intrigues me in many ways, and I need to follow up on that. <laughs> uh, when it doesn't come to you on its own, where do you look for it? Um, other people who are working to be healers for themselves and for others. Um, and writers that, like, I know will make me feel better, like Hafiz, if I need a hug for my soul, I'll read some of his stuff, because then I'll cry and I'll feel a little bit better afterwards, even if I still feel crappy. (laughs) Um... Uh, sometimes it's uh, musical artists where I just find songs that I've loved for 20 plus years and listen to them over and over and over again until you know their magical spell has lifted me um, so yeah just trying to go to things that I know work and generally trying to use resources that won't invite um, depression and that sort of train of thought to happen trying to focus on um, you know people or relationships that make me feel really happy and remind me that I'm connected to the world if I'm feeling disconnected that's where I go right on right on Um, so we've already talked about this a little bit about your uh, spiritual and emotional uh, process of making art. In the the pre-talk, you talked about kinesthesia and synesthesia. Um, uh, For our listeners, could you talk about, well, firstly, what what those are, and then how how that feels, Mm -hmm. and how that how you think that uh, atypical sensory experience influences your artistic process? Okay. Um, I was like four let's questions start with, at once, I know, so I, know. I can re-ask them one at a time. That's okay. I'll start with, uh, <laughs> so I'm a kinesthetic learner, which I didn't realize for a long time. 
because I learned to do it in an internal way, being a girl with like different processing stuff that uh, was a lot more frowned upon in the 80s and 90s because it was, you know, you're just being an improper female. Yeah, but anyway, so what I finally realize is a lot of times I'll like be 3D modeling things in my head or um, like I told you in the pre-talk, kind of like skin walking where I'll put myself into someone's skin and try and see from that perspective to understand what they're talking about. Um, or else it's like I'm hearing the story that you're telling me, but what I'm experiencing isn't like the words of your story I'm experiencing this odd emotional shape that's forming and I'm watching it happen um, so again it's very much a, like having a hard time translating all that to people um, because most kinesthetic learners like people expect them to be really active and agitated and blah 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 and I like learn to be very calm and don't pay attention to me because I don't want to get hit and um, so, like, I don't come off as a very kinesthetic person unless I, like, really get going, like, now. <laughs> but I have to really get pretty much caught up in what I'm saying, because otherwise I'll be like, put your hands here. <laughs> um, so if I can't, like, visualize something or understand it in some sort of 3D model way, if I'm learning new information, I have a really hard time bringing it, like into a place where I can connect it with anything and not knowing how to communicate that to other people was really hard because I was like a smart student but there was so much stuff that I just could not get and I didn't know why um, so that's one of the reasons why I like researching things is because I can understand stuff that doesn't make any sense to me at all um, and learning about like patterns in nature and learning about patterns in learning like to me that like kind of came together and started making sense because um, <clears throat> the way I store information okay, this is really hard to explain but basically there's like all these files that aren't files in my head they're like conch shells and there are all these connected ideas that go together. Um, but a lot of times if I don't start at the beginning of the world, then I can't find my way into that thought. And sometimes I can't access all parts of my mind. And this is something that is partly because of mental illness, which is shifting somewhat with medication. But um, it's very weird because there will be like, inside is this huge universe but sometimes I'll only be in part of it because the other parts like got a tarp over it and I can't access that information at that time um, so it's a very very weird way to experience the world um, feeling that you know things inside you with not being able to say them it's really hard and that's one of the reasons why I really liked writing people know what I'm saying it's amazing and yeah that's the main thing for learning through the kinesthetics and as far as the synesthesia this uh, again not something I realized was weird until 
um, I met my ex-husband, who is now an ancestor, long story, <laughs> Bobby in college, and he had lucid dreams, and he was synesthetic, and a lot of other stuff that I had, and he, like, talked about it like it was this big thing, and I was like, but that's just how brains work, right? And he's like, no. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is starting to explain a lot. Um, so synesthesia is essentially when you get sensory input from more than one sense in places where people only get one, usually. So like you feel something and you're not just feeling it with your fingers, like there's a color associated with it, there's a movement inside, you know, there's like, could be a sound, um, all sorts of different things that are associated with stuff. I tend not to get the smell on very much, um, but some people do like they'll look at a painting and they'll smell something um, I'm much more of a hearing music and seeing lights in my head kind of person um, and not like like flashing lights at a light show you know at a concert kind of thing more like I don't know thinking of like laser imagery almost kind of being drawn across my mind um, but even that's not really accurate sometimes it seems like I'm just seeing the auric structure of stuff. Um, so yeah, another reason why it made things really hard <laughs> to communicate, um, because I would have, you know, these reactions that people didn't understand, and I didn't understand their non-reactions. You know, I'd be like, I can't stand here in this music. Like, I'm being punched in the stomach right now. I have to leave. And they're just like, it's just music. I'm like, no, it's not. I am going to vomit all over you if I don't get out of this space right now. So yeah, more weirdness, but also I feel like puts me in touch with a lot of stuff that has to do with my channeling. Cause it was like, I have hearing problems, but a lot of that is because I'm hearing stuff that other people don't hear. And it's like, I've got all this freaking background noise that I can't always tune out, especially if there's like a room with a bunch of people talking and someone's trying to talk to me and all my guys are trying to have their input on what's going on. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. I can't concentrate. Oh yeah. A lot of input and trying to figure out what to do with it. It's basically how that ends up. Which is why I like to do a whole bunch of different ways of self-expression. Because otherwise I feel like I uh, just get trapped, like the energy, you know, gets all built up and then I go crazy. <laughs> and make stupid choices. Yeah. I'm too old to drink like that. <laughs> so uh, your... What I what I'm hearing is that your your um, multitudinous sensory input uh, creates a, a need to have different venues um, of uh, of output. Yes. Um, In my early right. days of blogging, I would do like one thing, and people would be like, "Oh, you're just gonna keep doing that forever." And I was like, I "Feel like you're trying to choke me to death here." Jeez. <laughs> Let me explore, guys. Stop trying to make me do one thing for the rest of my life. Uh, I 
can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Um, so, uh, so in addition to the the capacity and even need to have multiple media of expression, uh, how else do you, would you say that that uh, that 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 your your sensory experiences uh, affect your art, uh, or is is it one of those things where it it's just part of who you are, so it's kind of hard to say since you haven't since you literally can't do it any other way. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but I guess like so, no, I, I the with closest that. words to it would be like I'm just constantly trying to get people to pay attention to. The stuff that's just like slightly removed from reality <laughs> but it's still visible if you work at it <laughs> like I'm trying to give everybody x-ray specs interesting interesting okay. in a minute I will uh, give you an opportunity to promote anything you're working on that you'd really like to share with folks okay. but uh, before we do that let's uh, have our um, our final question uh, what is the strangest most out of this world thing that you have ever experienced okay um, I could literally write many books on that topic um, so I'm going to tell the first super extra weird thing that ever happened and the most recent one well, the first one, I was 19 or 20, um, so like super fresh anti-Baptist rebellion phase, um, and I had kind of been like, everything you can't see is stupid, <laughs> as a kind of uh, overreaction, which was fine, but I say that just to let you know that at the time, I was completely sure of the fact that there were no ghosts or demons or anything like that in existence, okay? <laughs> Lots of good stories start. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, I've got this friend who um, is all about going to weird, spooky places, and he has discovered this road that, like, doesn't lead anywhere, but only sometimes, he says. So it's like on the fringes of some neighborhood and then there's a bunch of undeveloped land and there's a bridge that goes over the road. So it goes all the way through to another highway, except when you go there sometimes and it's a dead end and you have to turn around and go the other way for no apparent reason. And my other friend who's hearing this story is like, oh, that sounds amazing. We have to go there. Yeah. And I'm just like, ugh, no. That sounds like the stupidest way to spend an evening. But I have literally nothing else to do, so of course I go. Um, and there's like five of us in a little car um, driving in the dark. And, you know, we get to the end of this neighborhood and like there's a gas station on the opposite side of where this road starts um 
And the first thing you notice is that the lights of the gas station do not reach as far as lights should reach. And I'm just like, this feels like a bad idea. I'm like, it's probably fine. They're just freaking you out. It's fine. You're going to be fine. It'll be fine. All right, so we drive down this road, and he's like, oh, now we're getting close to the haunted farmhouse. I was like, what? You did not mention this as part of the story. Um, so it's this, like, creepy, like, looks like it was built for a horror movie set farmhouse and, like, old-fashioned, you know, used to be red and white barn, falling down. Look at it, look at it. And then I look at it and I see all these red eyes glowing from the barn. I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't see that. <laughs> and I just close my eyes. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna wait so we get out of here. But then my friend's like, oh crap, the road doesn't go through this time. I'm like, this is well, I'm in the back, so I like have to lean over the driver's seat to look, and I look at this road, and honestly, I can't see whatever is blocking the road or whatever the dead end is because I see an entire line of shadow beasts of some kind with glowing red eyes blocking the road. And I start freaking out and I tell my friend who's driving that he needs to turn around right now. And they're all just like wanting to sit there and stuff. And I'm getting increasingly anxious. And finally they're like, okay, fine, we'll go. And he still wants to like act like this is a scenic trip. And I'm like, no, you need to go faster. The engine starts smoking. Like these things are chasing us. I can see them starting to attack the car in this like astral vision that I didn't freaking know I had. <clears throat> I project myself, didn't know I could do that, up onto the roof of the car to fight them off. Um, finally, we get close enough to the gas station that they leave, because honestly at the time I could not have taken them. Um, <laughs> I don't know, wanna know what would happen, but like his car stops at the end of the street and rolls just like barely all the way into a parking spot at the gas station. And we open up the car and all of the water is gone. Like everything else is fine. And once you fill it back up and we were able to go, I was like, I am never going there again. Yeah, so that was very eye-opening in many ways. <laughs> yeah, 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 that 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 uh, would my shit out, particularly back in the day. Yeah, it's very scary. And that was also the first time I like experienced physical depletion from having to do, you know, mm -hmm. some sort of astral thing. So that was really weird. I was like, why do I feel like a husk? <laughs> um, but. Most recently, let's see, I was at um, a friend's event where she's doing quote unquote art therapy Mondays where we just get together and like arts and craft it up. Um, and so one of the gals that's there, she's 
been having like rapid weight loss and no one could tell why. Um, but like as she was leaving, like I assumed this thing, thought I wasn't gonna be looking at her anymore cause like I should have been able to see it right away, but I didn't. There was this, I don't know how big, like I wanna say 10 story high psychic entity like attached to her with like giant needle hands that were like embedded in her spine um it looked like a cross between i don't know a grasshopper and a nightmare and i was like okay well that's really new and i've been taking on like a lot of stuff lately but i wasn't really sure i could do that um but I asked Decati and she's like, yeah, it'll be fine. Just work on it. I'm like, okay. So over the course of the week, I would sit at different times and work on it. Um, so like I had to sit and image every single one of those needle arms coming out of her um, multiple times because it didn't work. You know, it was the first time, and then we had to replace that with some sort of light energy because otherwise I was just going to keep getting filled up with other stuff. And then Ekati herself came in and actually ended up... <sighs> that was really fucking weird. But basically, um, after I had all its legs out, she just opened up her mouth and fucking ate it. And it's literally never happened before in any, like, energy removal of anything I've ever done. Like, has any entity come in and done something like that? So, I'm assuming this is some really badass, messed up shit. I don't know, but I don't have to worry about it anymore, so. Yeah. I was really scared, and I haven't been scared in a while. So, yeah. Cute. Yeah, right? That, that qualifies. That, that qualifies. That's horrifying. Um. Very scary. Um, so thank you for sharing those stories. Uh, is there, obviously, um, your ins your Instagram and your Etsy shop will appear in the show notes. But are there any particular projects that you're working on that you would uh, like to personally promote to our listeners before we sign off? Um, yes, actually, I just started a couple of different programs that will be repeating. One of them is a Mommy and Me Moon Ritual event that I'm doing here at the North Kansas City Public Library. Um, it's geared towards preschoolers and elementary age children, and essentially it's just a really fun event where we are going to talk about different stories, and I'll relate it to the stars in some way, um, and we'll do different movement activities. Um, the word ritual, don't let it scare you. It's geared towards children. <laughs> and then the other thing is um, a womb healing circle, and that's to help, like, as a healing the divine feminine offering. Um, my friend JC Navarro and I will be co hosting that on a quarterly basis. Um, and I will post about that on Instagram, and it's also on my professional Facebook, which is R. May Evans. And yeah, that's 
Mm-hmm. I'll include links to all of those things in the show notes. Uh, May, thank you so much for being here. Uh, for everyone, thank you for listening. And uh, thank you. I will catch you all on the flip side. Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Worlds podcast, where we talk about the experiences of art and magic and the search for meaning. I am your host, J.S. Groves, author, artist, sorcerer, and madman. Um, today's episode was required, was re-